welcome to Setting Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their awesome hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 56. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope that you are having a great week. Uh, it's going pretty good for me. Yesterday, I went out with my little three-year-old daughter, and we were enjoying the backyard, some nicer weather blowing bubbles and all that fun stuff and I said would you like to shoot your bow Uh, we haven't done that since the fall and she got this big smile on her face she said yes I got the target out and we had to practice a couple times with me helping her pull back this little recurve bow that I have for um but on the third try she knocked it all by herself drew back and absolutely smoked the target dead dead center and granted the target's three yards away but I was about as proud as what you could be as a dad really kind of just one of those milestone moments you're like I'm gonna remember this because that's the first time now I'm not gonna pressure her hopefully she wants to hunt as time goes on but I I think I'm going to remember her drawing back and and hitting that target all on her own so pretty cool Uh, went for a a shed hunt ended up being just a two mile hike yesterday and that was a good time didn't see any sheds got to do a little scouting and that's basically all that's going on in my world Um, that and work and family and some trips that I got planned and all that but um, as far as hunting goes that's it so I just want to say thank you guys for coming back to another episode I really appreciate that I hope that you're enjoying the episodes and uh, once again I always say this just about every episode but if (laughs) you know what this podcast is your podcast this is dedicated to the average Joe and Jill and so if that's you if you uh, have a story to tell man I'd love to hear it sheddinglightod at gmail.com just send me an email reach out and we can set something up love to have you come on you don't have to be an expert Um, that's I think the beauty of these hunting stories Um, you don't have to be an expert you don't have to be some pro you just have to be somebody that's going out tried to hunt and you love it Uh, that's all we're going to say today we're just going to jump in with our guest his name is AB3 of the Bryant Land Company and he'll tell you all about that here in just a second so enjoy this one Good morning, AB3. How are you, sir? Good. How are you, sir? Oh, doing doing great up here in Ohio. How's things down in Atlanta? Uh, rainy. It's been uh, pretty rainy for the last few days, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I'll take the rain over the snow. I just wish this rain would show up around like late August, September when we start putting <laughs> in food plots. <laughs> yeah, that'd be handy, wouldn't it? <laughs> So. That's awesome. Well, buddy, tell us a little bit about yourself, what what you do down there in Atlanta, and we'll we'll jump into uh, uh, Bryant Land Country and that kind of thing here in a little bit. But just give give us a little overview of what you do for a living and family and and that that good stuff. Yeah, I um, work in sports television. I'm a uh, television director, so any uh, kind of like games like basketball, football, baseball. Uh, mostly on the college side now. Um, I was uh, doing uh, NBA and Major League Baseball for the last four or five years. And basically, the, the director is the person in charge. for. So when you're watching a game and you see like the cameras change, um, you know certain players, ISO, graphics going in as a director, that's behind the scenes uh, telling people what to do to make that happen. So um, I've been doing that for roughly about 20 years um about the last 10 years in live uh tv sports and that's my day job and then um 
outside of that, just raising kids. I have a son and a daughter and then try to uh, mix in some hunting uh, in between. And then I've picked up a podcast in the last uh, year or so. So I kind of have a good, uh, nice size full plate, if you will. Yeah, it sounds like it. So the the sports thing, I think there'd be a lot of people interested. How did you get into that? Like, how did you become the guy in the room telling people, hey, go to that shot, go to that guy in the stand that's picking his nose, go over here and uh, <laughs> zoom in on this? Like, how how did you get there? I'm just curious. Um, long story short, I've I've pretty much always knew I wanted to be a television. I mean, when I was in high school, I would go around recording people, um, uh, saying different things for you know, like giving shout outs or you know, just talking about stuff that's going on at school. And then we had a program that we put together where we'd read the announcements um, and then they'd close circuit it um, to every TV in the classroom. So I've pretty much known uh, since I was in high school, I wanted to be in television. And then I just kind of worked my way through. I got my first job in television, my second semester in college. And I pretty much worked all through college in a local TV station in Columbia, South Carolina. Um graduated, excuse me, from the University of South Carolina, uh, the real tried and true USC. And from there, <laughs> just kind of just kind of worked my way through local news. Uh, I got to go work at uh, ESPN. I uh, worked at uh, Nesson, which is the uh, network that's owned by the uh, Boston Red Sox. And you just kind of work your way up through the chain and uh, – I pretty much knew that I wanted to be a director, and so I kind of just followed around directors as much as I could, try to soak in as much information, and then when I got my shot, I just didn't look back. Oh, man. Yeah, that's awesome. That would be a really interesting job. You mentioned before we started just about how much you have to travel, so you're on a plane a good bit. Yeah, like, and, you know, sometimes... For some people, the travel burns them out. Me, the travel doesn't bother me. I think I like the travel better than going to sit at a desk or, you know, going to the same office every day. You know, I like I did a game on Saturday. I got home Sunday. Um, I have a rare midweek game coming up tomorrow. So I'll travel today, do the game on Wednesday, travel back to Atlanta on Thursday and then my Saturday game, which I always have. So I'll get home Thursday. If my son plays Thursday, because he's playing baseball, if it doesn't rain, if he plays Thursday, I'll go to the game Thursday, and then I'll get up uh, and then leave midday Friday, travel midday Friday, do another game Saturday, and come home Sunday morning. And then uh, after that, I'm not quite sure what my schedule is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it just, you know, it, it's, you know, a lot of up and down and, and whatnot. But like I said, I'd rather do that than go, you know, have to commute and fight, you know, traffic, especially Atlanta traffic to yeah. be to somebody's office by 9 a.m. and then have to fight traffic getting off at five to get home. So this, you know, this ain't too bad. And somehow you managed to squeeze in a podcast in there. And I have no idea. Like I, I have that office job that you're talking about and I know how I manage my time. How do you, how did you think I'm going to do all this and then also start a podcast at the same time? Um, you know, I like to think of myself as a pretty reasonable, logical guy, but when I get excited about something and I start research, researching it. And once I make the decision, that I'm going to do it. I just end up kind of jumping in and, and tackling it. Um, 
I, short answer to your question, I don't know because there are a lot of times that I'm doing this podcast and I'm just like, do I really have time for this? Like, it would be so much, you know, I, I'd have so much more, you know, room to breathe if I wasn't doing this podcast. But the, the truth of the matter is, is I enjoy doing it. And as long as I can keep getting guests and don't have to do episodes where I got to ramble on by myself for 15, 20 minutes, then <laughs> I don't mind doing it. Uh, so. I, I've had a few of those episodes. I call it uh, the worst guest ever. So, <laughs> Right. Because no matter, no matter what I think that I'm going, like in my mind, it's just like, oh, I got a great topic. I can go on and on for this. And then I look down at the recorder and we're like seven minutes in and I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, I um, I, if people want to look up your podcast, I've listened to it and I enjoy it. It's called the Bryant Land Show, and this kind of came after you started Bryant Land Country. So let's let's dive into this a little bit, and then I, I want to go back and kind of get into some of your hunting stories. But talk about how um you started this, when you started this, and then uh, you know where the podcast even really came from. Sure. Um. So I want to make sure I get my timeline right. I think it was around. 2016 i bryant land like my my full name is adam bryant the third um and i kind of started picking up hunting i came to hunting late in life um probably around 2015 2016 or so i mean i grew up in the country um on a dirt road in south carolina so i've always been in rural areas and but i didn't hunt and nobody really close to me hunted so once I kind of got into it and I started seeing all these different brands and stuff, and I always tell people, like, I started Bryant Land out of the sheer want of just wanting something with my name on it. I wanted a brand with something. And that's the bottom line. I mean, that's basically what it came out of. Like, I, I'd watch, like, I was watching Duck Dynasty. You know, I love Swamp People. Um, but I would watch Duck Dynasty and I would kind of watch Willie and, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, Duck Dynasty and Duck Dynasty Hunters and all that BS. But at the, when you start peeling back the layers and you kind of look at, um, just from a business acumen of what they did, it's actually kind of impressive. So yeah, that was, you know, I was like, okay, well I want, you know, I want my own brand. And then I started kicking around. It's like, well, what do I want that brand to be about? It's like, well, what do you do for a living? I do television. So it's been my life, like I said, since high school. So that's where it kind of came together. It took a little bit to kind of figure out, you know, exactly what it was going to be and what it was going to do. But once I figured it out and mapped it out, I just took off running with it. And originally, we were going uh, making videos. So I'd make just like simple, like, little promos um and then i knew that i wanted to interview people and tell stories um that storytelling aspect so i went out i interviewed folks um i had a guy that was making his own deer scent uh in his garage in uh, georgia um i interviewed another guy that was a great storyteller um on a hog hunt that i went on so I just started interviewing people, but as I quickly found out without sponsorships and, and um, any kind of financial backing, because I was doing this out of my own pocket, mm-hmm. uh, the money kind of, you know, it, it became very financially hard to keep it going. And that was when I discovered podcasting. Um, 
you know, and then I when I did my research on podcasting, it's like, well, people have been podcasting for a while. And so I just kind of started researching, started doing, looking around. And the common denominator for all this stuff, for like the Bryant land for the brand, uh, making videos and the podcasting, is you don't really see any black folks doing it as far as like on a level where they're telling, you know, stories about, you know, other black people and their hunting stories and their experiences or their businesses or or whatever. Like the the African American or the black um person's like story or streams in the hunting industry is highly underrepresented. And yeah. that's putting it, you know, politely. Um, so I wanted to start something where, like, I could tell stories, um, get other people's experiences, and then sometimes just get on the podcast and just talk to other people and, and just shoot the breeze. So that's how the podcast started, because it was like I could still talk to people. I could get so many more interviews in and so many more stories in instead of traveling around and shoot videos um and so that's how the podcast became uh became a thing and i think i looked last night i know i have officially i think last monday we released episode 58 and, and i've done a couple of bonus episodes so we've done 64 episodes in over a year in just a little over 13 14 months because yeah. i started january last year and i mean that's 50 some odd stories that I would have never gotten a chance to tell or 50 some odd people that I've got a chance to talk to that otherwise I would have never had a chance to talk to. Mm. I think it's really cool. What's interesting to me is our podcasts actually start about the same time and they're both driven by stories. I think that that's kind of neat. Um, the difference, like you mentioned, is being a black person doing this. And I just want to ask you a little bit about that because, I, honestly, whenever I was looking up, I, I realized February is Black History Month, and I realized I haven't had one black person on my podcast, not out of you know, discriminatory anything. It's just I don't know any black hunters. And so what's that been like for you, you know, kind of getting to tell that story? It seems like you've had a pretty good response from what I've seen as far as your Instagram followers and things like that, and your reviews are great on your podcast. So talk a little bit about that for a second, you know, just the the challenges maybe that you faced along along those lines. Um, for the most part, um, it's been fine. Uh, occasionally, you know, you'll go places, people will give you like a look, um, you'll talk to people and, and, you know, they'll kind of just look at you or they'll talk to you like, you know, like what in the world, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I've been fortunate that in the places that I've been and people that I've dealt with, I've hadn't dealt with, with just any like overt, like nasty or anything like that. Like you said, most people are really receptive. Yeah. Um, but I think what people don't understand is like a lot of people think, oh, it's just it's something new. Or it's just like, oh, here come the blacks and they're gonna try to take <laughs> over. Like they took over basketball and took over football. And like, you know, like a lot of people have that mentality when the reality is, you know, this goes way back, you know, past slavery times and stuff like that. Like there's a rich tradition and history 
among, you know, African-Americans hunting, fishing, living off the land, farming, like all that stuff. Like none of that stuff is new. Like it's yeah. new to some people because you ain't going to turn on outdoor channel and see it. You ain't going to turn on, you know, sportsman or my outdoor TV or any of them outlets. But if you go through Instagram, there are tons and tons of people, whether it is making uh, hunting-based music videos, documenting their journeys, um, just, you know, simple stuff like, you know, showcasing their farm or birding and all kind of stuff. So like most things, if you want to know about it, it's out there if you want to know about it. But at the end of the day, a lot of people, because it's not a mass, you know, out there in a mass way, they just don't know about it. Another thing, too, and what I've told people a few times on my podcast is that just because, you know, there are a lot of African-Americans that like to get out for just the sport of it and enjoy, you know, deer hunting just from a sporting aspect or uh, upland bird hunting, duck hunting, um, you know, the rabbits, squirrels, whatever, like that just enjoy it for the sport of it. They are way, way, way more that it's been their lifestyle. It's been their way of living, their way of surviving. And they not on Instagram. They not on Facebook. They not flashing cameras or, you know, out here wearing the most expensive camo and all that stuff. They just living their life and don't have any dying need to put it on social media or any kind of media outlet. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I, and you know, I think that's true. I mean, growing up, I mean, I grew up in rural area and we honestly didn't have very many black Americans in our, uh, (laughs) you know, in our neck of the woods period. So for me, it's, it's like you said, it seems new, but you're right. It's obviously been something that's been going on for a long time. And it's a, you know, and I think the thing that's cool to me is it doesn't matter your race or color. The fact that hunting speaks to so many different people, you know, all over, I've talked to Australians, I've talked to Canadians, I've talked to people in other South America, you know, that there's just something I think God given about the excitement of going out into the woods and getting your own food and doing it in a very exciting and fun, uh, fun way. So I think that's kind of a universal uh, thing that we all get to enjoy. Yeah, it is interesting because like I'll go. Like I was in down in the area where I hunt at. Obviously, it's a you know small town, rural area. And growing up in a small town, it took me a while to appreciate it. But you know, ever since I'm 42 now, ever since my 30s, I've been dying trying to find a way to get back to small town living. Um, but I'll go and I'll go into the store. Like one night, I had just came came back from hunting. Like I was out of the tree i had to stop and get like milk or something like that like stop by the walmart to get milk um and i had on like my bibs i still had my harness on like i didn't take anything off and i'm walking through like walmart and you know people just kind of doing their thing and the guy asked me like just stop stop boy white good dude most redneckish looking dude you could ever want his only question was did you get one (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, you know, I, I saw a couple of those, but then the guy, you know, it, 
it was getting dark, so I had to come down. He's like, "Yeah, we went out this weekend and blah blah blah." blah. And then we had like a five minute com- like a five minute conversation, yeah. standing right in the aisle. He's supposed to be stocking shelves, and I got on full camo bibs and a harness. Like <laughs> it's you know, but and I've done that where I go into the Walmart or go into a store in Metro Atlanta, and people are looking at me like. Okay, what's is he gonna shoot up the place? Like, what's gonna happen? You know, it. I guess my point is, it comes down to, you know, what a what you used to seeing and the you know the culture. Like out in the rural areas, everybody hunt, whether you black, white, whatever. Yeah, there's some people that still you know kind of separate and they keep to themselves. But at times, like you say, hunting can be like that unified. Like I've mm-hmm. sat talk to guys that otherwise wouldn't have nothing to say to me or I wouldn't have nothing to say to them because I'm not exactly the most sociable person. Um, But because, you know, we standing in a Bass Pro Shop or we standing in, you know, a shop looking at feed or looking at, you know, food plots or whatever, looking at cameras, and then we just end up striking up a conversation. And, And, you know, it's just silly. I don't know that man could be you know, the most racist person in the world or, you know, they could look at me and think I'm the most, you know, game-banging and thugging this person, like, whatever the extreme, like, stereotype, but for that five minutes, we talking about deer, we talking about hogs, we talking about turkeys, whatever, and then you go on about your way, so it it's really remarkable to me how just that one activity even if for like a brief time can break down like walls and stuff and people be on the same page and then they leave and they go back to, you know, whatever it yeah. is they're doing. Yeah. Now that brings a smile to my face. Just, I mean, I think that is a really cool thing. Um, I, I want to dive in though. I want to hear some of, uh, AB three's hunting stories. So you've been at this just a few years. Uh, I want to hear some of your experience that you've had. What are you, some of your favorite memories that you've had? Uh, Probably the highlight of my short hunting career was killing a turkey with a bow. Um, I went to Nebraska. Um, forgot the name of the outfitter right now. Um, but I went to Nebraska, and the first the first morning I went out there. Cause it, and it was a situation where it was just like they kind of, you know, they drop you off like in a blind and mm-hmm. they just leave you and then they come back and get you or whatever. So, you know, after they drop you off, it's pretty much on you. Um, so it's not like they're sitting there calling for you or anything like that. So I had to practice, you know, I had practice calling. I use a diaphragm call. And, you know, I sat out there that morning and saw some hens. Didn't see any toms. I heard them. Uh, didn't see any, but you know, I'm using my call or whatever. And it's like, all right, so we get back and the guy was like, well, let me hear you call. And I called and he's like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a turkey. It's like, so you covered that. And so we talked and he laid out a couple other options and like laid out the intel or whatever, so to speak. And so I was like, all right, well, let's go to this. I'll go to this one. And so I went to this blind in the afternoon, same deal, saw some hens. I was still calling. Next thing I know, I heard that sound. And if you ever turkey hunted, you know what that sound is. When they when they start gobbling, especially when they start gobbling in close proximity, you can feel it in your chest. 
And I was just like, like, I didn't believe that. When people said that, like, Thunder Chickens, I was just like, okay, that's some, you know, BS or whatever. I, I ain't really believed it. But I hit, like, a certain cadence. And then, uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, this ain't bad. So I kept calling, and they kept getting closer and closer. And then when I finally saw them, it was like four of them. Um, at least what I saw, it was four. When I went back and looked at the footage, it was five because I was self-filming as well. Um, and this is you know, clearly when you don't know no better. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to take the camera. I'm going to film, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to kill a turkey on camera because, you know, it, I can do this. It's easy. I work in television. I got the skill set, blah, 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 blah. So I look and I see four. It was Like I said, when I went back and looked, it was five. So these four, they're coming in. They're bright, you know, bloodshot you know, goblin, you know, beards on the ground, like all kind of stuff. And I'm looking at them on camera and I'm following them, I'm following them. And then I get to almost the end of the edge of my blind and I realize I'm like, okay, well, I got to shoot one of these jokers. <laughs> That's just like, I'm just all, you know, like enamored because, you know, I'm seeing them up close. So guy told me, uh, one of the other hunters that was in camp, it was like, you know, when you see them and you get them in the position where you want to shoot them, just yell, hey, turkey. And they'll stop because it's a sound they're not used to hearing. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, I must be got boo-boo the fool written on my forehead. Like, that don't work. Like, what? Like, this must be a joke. It's like, oh, play a joke on the new hunter, blah, 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 blah. So, whatever. <laughs> I'm sitting out there. And, and like I said, he... He's out of camera frame, but I can still see him, and he's in um, bow range. So I stop, I take my hand off the camera, I get my, I got my bow, I draw back my bow, and I yell, hey, turkey. And it was, and as soon as he started gobbling, I shot him, and uh, right through the wing bone, uh, right through the wing that was facing, it was pretty much broadside, right through the wing, and then it exited out. Um. He kind of jumped, and then he took off running. And I was like, man, I miss this bird. <laughs> he took off running, and then he kind of dropped under, under a tree because uh, he tried to fly. And then when he tried to fly, he just basically hit the ground. So I'm like, either my broadhead killed him or the impact from him hitting the ground. <laughs> but... <laughs> I didn't at the time I didn't know he was dead. So I was thinking like, oh I missed this turkey and this is gonna suck. I came all this way, blah, 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 like all that. And in the meantime, I saw the other four. And the other thing what made me miss them because in my mind, there's four turkeys. I see four turkeys go back up the ridge, gobbling and stuff. So once you know everything goes down, they're like, okay, we gotta get out of here. And so they go away. Um but I did capture the running and the flying and the dropping on camera. Um, so we get back to the lodge. We go back to the lodge. Like, I'm like, okay, well, that sucked. I mean, it was cool, but that sucked. Like, I missed. And we're looking at the video, and I see the fifth turkey come into the frame. Um, and then, you know, I make the shot. You hear the shot. You don't see it because the camera is blind. Uh, in the blind spot in the blind but you hear it and I hear the impact and so I'm following them 
and then I see him drop up under the tree, and the guy was like, mm, he looked like you hit him. And I was like, no, because look at the other one. So we're looking at the video back and forth. Finally, we just get back in the buggy and we go back out there. And so now I'm thinking, if I did kill him, you know, you hope like a coyote or a bobcat or something hadn't already got him or whatever. Man, we go back out there, right up under that tree, turkey dead as a doornail. Oh, that's awesome. Hey. And I was like, hey, like I, you know, you see on hunting shows all the time, like when people start crying and all, all kind of stuff like that. And I'm like, really? What are y'all crying about? I wasn't crying, but <laughs> that's a different kind of happiness. Like when I saw him laying there, then I started looking at the spurs, and it was a Miriam. So the spurs aren't exactly like daggers. I mean, obviously they can do enough damage, but they're not like the long spurs that everybody talk about. You know, the beard was nice and thick. Of course, I ended up, like I said, there was five of them. At least three of them had beards on the ground. Of course, I shoot the one where the beard is not on the ground. But still, I was like, I killed a turkey with a bow yeah. by myself. Like, at that point, you couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And your picture, I mean, this is a nice bird. I'm looking at it <laughs> on uh, official Bryant Land on Instagram. And, I mean, it's a beautiful, I mean, shooting them, I've never gone after Miriams. And, I mean, they just have beautiful feathers. That's, I mean, that's got to be exciting. Yeah, and that one, I got stuffed. I, I um, took it to the taxidermy full, um, you know, I had done it fully and everything. It's been a pain in my butt because I've had to re had to have it redone when I was trying to move because the tail feathers got messed up. So I had the guy, he put it back together for me, so it looks good. But it's a pain in the butt to move, like, when I when I had to move and stuff. But, yeah, that's that's easily my my highest accomplishment. Um, you know, I've killed a couple of deer that, you know, I'm very happy about, um, probably yeah. the most, you know, the most proud is the first, the first doe I took on my own land, um, down here in Georgia last year. And then I took another doe down here in Georgia. So I got to try to, I'm trying, I'm still chasing a buck here on my own land in Georgia, but yeah, the Turkey was definitely that, that was the highest of the high right now. How, how'd you get your doe? Tell us that story. I want to hear how you get your first one in your own land. Cause that has to be, I mean, your, 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 uh, show's name is Bryant land country. So being able to shoot one on your own property had to be extremely rewarding. It, it was, but the better story honestly is the, the doe that I killed this year. The first one I killed. Yeah. It was special. Like it was like, okay, you know, I was sitting in a blind, um, four does come in, I get a clear shot on one, um, hit him in the shoulder and hit her in the shoulder. And basically she dropped to the ground as soon as I hit her. Like I had never seen anything like that. Usually you shoot a pass through, they take off, you know, they bleed out, they fall. Like I, the first one I hit, um, hit her like got the lung and then the part of the shoulder and i guess it broke like her shoulder or whatever and then she just dropped right there in her tracks like almost like if i hit her with a gun and this was with a compound bow oh wow um so that was good the second one one i got this year that's the one that i called a comedy of errors <laughs> because I got up that morning. So last year was the first year. Last deer season was the first year I ever used a climber. Um, so I learned how to use a climber. I'm, I'm in love with it now. 
Um, got up that morning, got up late, packed, threw all my stuff in the truck. You know, had pretty much had everything packed. I just had to put it in the truck, threw everything in the truck. And I have these shoes. They are like, they're slip-on. They're not quite loafers, but they're like an outdoorsy kind of like slip-on shoe. I just put them on like a well, like when I want to go outside or whatever um, and don't want to wear my sneakers or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so usually I put those on to load the truck with, and then, you know, I carry my boots, and then I change in the boots when I get to my spot. Well, I didn't bring my boots. And my oh, no. hunting area is uh, a solid hour and 25, 30 minutes away. So 45 minutes into my drive, I looked down at my feet. I'm like, dang, like it's awfully, my feet are awfully light. I looked down, I still got my shoes, my little loafer shoes on. So <laughs> I get to, I'm like, well, I'm not turning around. So, and, and it's December, but even in December in Georgia, you know, it can be kind of funky. So you all the slate, all the snakes should be sleep or hibernated or whatever. But there, I've seen people kill rattlesnakes in December in Georgia. Um, oh man! So I'm like, okay, well, we just gonna get through it. So I go get there. It started misting rain. I didn't bring like I bought a jacket, but I didn't bring the rain jacket. So that's number two. Get to the tree. Get ready to climb the tree in the climber. And there's a couple of limbs, because it's the first time I've climbed this tree. So I got, um, there's a couple of limbs there, but they, you know, they're easy enough to break. So, you know, I start climbing. I break one limb. Another limb comes from the side, smacks me right in the face. Then I don't know where this limb came from. It, It smacks me right in the face. So I get up the tree, and mind you, I'm climbing in these freaking loafers. So I don't know if you ever use the climber, but you like yeah. I have summit climbing. So it's got like that rubber string on the back, and it's basically like on your ankle. So you lift and you climb. So like that rapid climb system. Mm-hmm. So that string is rubbing up against my ankle, and I'm like, well, I don't normally feel this. Well, duh, you don't normally feel it because you have on boots. But now since you got on freaking loafers you feel it on your ankle so i get there i climb get situated all right we good of course as soon as i get settled not even 10 minutes after i get settled here comes a doe like all right well maybe there's sunshine at the end of the tunnel so i get there and i'm playing it cool or she gets there i'm playing it cool she goes around she circles around she comes back She's sniffing. She's eating little berries and stuff off the ground. Like, she's just taking her time. And then so, and I have a corn feeder at this spot. So, and yes, I do hunt over corn feeders. It's perfectly legal in Georgia. I know some people have five-star meltdowns when people baiting or whatever. We can do it in Georgia. Yes, I do it. Do it. So, (laughs) she's taking her time. She gets to the feeder. And she keeps looking in my direction. So she kind of knows something might not be quite right, but it's like, whatever. So she finally gets to the feeder. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to her mow down corn. Like, it's just nonstop crunch, 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 crunch. 
corn falling on the ground and stuff. And it was actually a pretty cool experience because I've never seen a deer feed like that, that close. Like we're talking 20, 18, 20 yards. So like I'm sitting there and I'm watching her eat and she drops her head, gets the stuff on the ground. She looks back up, she stops. So finally, after probably about 15 minutes of this, her head ducks behind the feeder. So it's a blind spot for her, so she can't see me. I draw back. She stays in that spot a lot longer than I thought that she would. So I'm waiting for her to turn back around and give me a shot. I'm holding my draw. Next thing I know, arrow goes off, goes directly into the tree 15 feet above the ground or however high I was. Like It goes into this tree across. So I got a perfectly good arrow and a broadhead that's in the tree now. Oh, um, man. <laughs> what happened? It, I don't know. I think I must have missed and hit my release or just, you know, okay. the, the arm fatigue or something. I made, like, a move, and it, you know, caused the arrow to release or whatever. So arrow goes in the tree. She hops up, takes off a little bit. Not far. I can still see her. And I'm just like, great. Okay, this morning's ruined. Like, I, I've officially screwed this whole thing up. About five minutes later, she comes back. She starts crunching, crunch, 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 crunch. Okay. So then, finally, she turned broadside, dropped her head, and started feeding on the ground. And she's feeding her. And you know how deer do. They One second, they're feeding. The next second, it's up. One second, it's down. Next second, it's up. So finally, she put it down for maybe, like, five seconds and that was the window that I needed to draw back so I drew back she popped her head up I'm like okay cool then she dropped her head again and then I put that broad head right behind her shoulder so I hit her she jumped straight up in the air I was like okay that's a good sign mm-hmm. and then she takes off and I'm like oh come on really like I know that was a good hit so like this is all going through my mind like I know it's a good hit she takes off and then she stops suddenly. And literally, Travis, I, it was probably maybe like two or three minutes. It felt like she stood there, like still for like 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what do you like? Did she take off? Drop, like drop. And so I'm looking behind the tree and then she turned around and I could see the intestine hanging out of her. I was like, okay, I, I hit her. And then she dropped, and then probably about four minutes later, it started like that kicking and stuff. And then when I went and I looked at her, basically the intestines filled one side of the hole, but that entry side was wide, and that was where everything came out of. Uh, okay. <laughs> where, she, <laughs> where she laid down at, like when I finally like got to her and went to move her, I was like, ah. Oh. So that's why there's no blood trail because everything is basically on the ground up underneath her. Yes. So. Oh man. That, so crazy, so huh? That was, yeah. That that was like I said. That was the better story. The first one was the most uh, was the most rewarding, but that was the better story from getting hit in the face and limb, going hunting in freaking outdoor loafers, <laughs> not having my, my rain jacket. 
to shooting their broadhead into the tree, which I, I didn't, I retrieved the arrow. I was able to get the arrow, but the broadhead is still stuck in the tree. So I, I, I call it, I shoot Grim Reaper broadhead. So I call it the Reaper tree now. Because <laughs> <laughs> it still has it sitting in there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my, that was my deer hunt. Uh, oh, I got man. that though the first week of December and, I've enjoyed it a few times uh, on Christmas, and here actually a couple of weeks ago I did uh, uh, the cube steak. That was the first oh, yeah. time. First time I had cube steak made because usually I get like the full steak, or I'll get like um, you know like a roast or something like that. But I had cube steaks done, and man, those those cube steaks were good. Absolutely. Oh man, that's that's a rewarding part. You know, it's it's always fun. The hunt is cool, but being able to use the meat and use it in a good way and try new things, that's that's an that's the bonus on top of it all. Oh yeah. I I actually I've gotten into so like deer and hogs I'll take to the processor. But birds I'll do my own birds. So like I duck hunt a little bit. When I lived in Milwaukee, I goose hunted all the time. Um all the time being at least seven, eight times a year, <laughs> which for me is a lot. Um, yeah. But goose hunted, and I love like you know dressing birds, breasting them out. I did a whole duck this year for the first time. Um, I said I was going to do dress a whole goose, but once I got into that feather plucking phase on a goose, I was just like, you know what, later for this, and I just ended up breasting it out. Yeah. But just playing with different recipes and uh and you know like smoking it or grilling it like i did a rub on two goose breasts last night and then sliced it and you know seared it in the pan so i'm starting to enjoy like the cooking and doing finding different recipes and stuff for the meat Mm. yeah that's that's rewarding we are doing the same like for a long time you know that you know, a lot of people don't like the term gamey or whatever, but you know, trying deer, it's it's got a deer flavor, and depending on how you shoot it or when you shoot it, and if it's a buck or whatever, you know, for a long time we just used it for chili and we canned a lot. But mm-hmm. recently, recently in the, like the last month or so, my wife and I we've really gotten into cooking and meal planning, and in doing that, we've incorporated deer into these dishes so that there's a lot. It's not just by itself. You incorporate it into an actual full dish, you know. So last night we had shepherd pie with the buck that I shot this year, and it was just absolutely delicious. And so just trying different things, I think that's what's you know rewarding because I you know I I want to enjoy the meat that I'm able to provide. You know, that's that's the main thing. Definitely, definitely, and just like you say, trying different recipes. And, you know, people always talk about, you know, like, well, it tastes so gamey, it tastes so gamey. I tell people it's just like anything. It's all about how you cook it. It's all about how you season it. Yeah. You know, and and obviously, you know, preparation in the field and stuff goes into that. But even, you know, once you get it, you know, get it processed or get your cuts and stuff, it's just all about how you treat it and how you season it. Absolutely. So what's uh what's the plans for this year? Do you have any special hunts planned? Gonna kinda do what you've done in the past? What's these uh, three's plans for this this year? Kind of do what I do in the past. Since I cause like the last like I said, the last four last four years or so, um, I worked in Milwaukee. So I was going back and forth between Milwaukee and here in Georgia. So this year was the first year, uh, or this past deer season was the first season that I got to actually hunt my own lands, like 
a lot. Like I would in past years, I'd maybe get like two deer hunts in on my land. Um, where this year, this past season, you know, I was able to hunt every week. So I'm going to do the same thing with turkey season. Um, try to get out as much as I can turkey season wise. Um, I put in for over the counter tags last year in Wisconsin for turkey. And I got, um, I drew, I drew two tags. I killed one turkey. So this year I've already drawn, I've already been sent one tag for the same time period that I had last year. So I'm going to try to get back to Wisconsin and do that. And then I want to plan another turkey hunt, um, probably like Texas or whatever. Um, if the schedule permits, I want to try to do it because I enjoy hunting Rios and Miriam. They're the most responsive when it comes to calling. Um, the Easterns are cool, and that's what we got here in Georgia, so I'm going to try to tackle those. But I really enjoy it. It's more, to me, it's rewarding the Rios and the Miriams because, like I say, they're they're responsive to the, yeah. to the calling. Um, so turkey hunts, um, I'm working on trying to uh, get a place where I can hunt hogs. Hogs is one of those deals where, again, I enjoy the meat, I enjoy bow hunting them for the sport of it, but you don't want to have them on your own land. I don't have them <laughs> on my land. I'm thankful for that, but um, I'm trying to get in with a place where they do have them and I can go in and hunt them for sport. Um, so that's really the biggest thing is just try. I want to try to get a hog down because I, I, I like some wild pork. Um, my short list in my mind, I want to try to kill three turkeys over turkey season. Um, and if I can do that, then that'll be, that'll be great. And then before you know it, it'll be spring or I'm sorry, it'll be summer. And then it'll start, you know, charting and planning for deer season again. So absolutely. Well, man, if people want to follow along, they can go to official Bryant land. We'll be looking on there. I got you as a friend on there and I want to see how you do in Turkey season. And then, uh, if people want to check out Bryant, Bryant, it's B-R-Y-A-N-T, Bryant land, uh, country.com that's where you can see some of your videos and other things and then uh your podcast the bryant land show uh so i'd encourage anybody to check that out ab3 it's been a pleasure man i've enjoyed it hearing your stories and uh kind of hearing your perspective on things i appreciate you coming on the show today man man Travis, thank you for reaching out to me um i really appreciate it you know it, it's it's fun to be on the other side of the microphone usually i'm the one that's leading the leading the charge and leading the questions and, you know, trying to drive the conversation, but it, it, it's fun to be on the other side of the microphone and then just uh, have someone that's interested, you know, in what I'm doing. And uh, hopefully your audience will enjoy this interview and then uh, I'll send my audience your way and hopefully they'll enjoy this interview as well and uh, enjoy and pick up a new hunting podcast. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks so much for your time, A.B., and we'll uh, talk to you later on, all right? Sounds good. Appreciate it. Yep. It's really cool to me how hunting can connect you with people from different races, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds. You know, you find that way in which you are similar to somebody, then you stop worrying so much about the ways in which you're different. Um, I see it all over Facebook. I see it all over the news people talking about how they're different. You have Republican versus Democrat. You have liberal versus conservative. You have uh, racial issues. You have religious tension. You have all of this stuff. 
and I, and I just see the world spiraling down towards this chaotic state. And I was able to just talk to a guy from Atlanta, different race than I am, different background, different likes, different, um, different personality. And we were able to sit there and talk for 45 minutes about that one thing that brings us both joy. And not once during that time did I feel any anger or anything. It was just a good conversation and great stories from AB3. And so my hat's off to him for putting out a great podcast. I encourage you to check it out. Check out his website, Instagram. Give him a follow. And I think that you guys will enjoy that. I am reminded of the greatest connector of them all. And that is the fact that God, whenever he made us, he breathed the breath of life into us. He did not do that to animals. He gave animals a personality. He gave them, uh, you know, he gave, made them alive, but he did not breathe into him, them the breath of life like he did to us. He gave us his image, and that is restored in Jesus. Everything goes crazy. The reason there's race and division and differences is because of the fall, but in Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. That's the connector. Uh, we all need a savior. We all need um, <laughs> hope of the afterlife, hope of heaven. And I think that comes through Jesus. And I think that is the greatest connector of all uh, all things. So I hope that today, instead of seeing the differences and uh, just lashing out in anger because somebody sees differently than you about the world, find one or two things in which you're in common and talk about those things. Enjoy uh, I just wish that we could learn to enjoy life a little bit more and not get so wrapped up in all the negativity. So I uh, hope that brings a little bit of a joy to your life. Hope that you are enjoying this show. If you do, five stars is great. Leaving a comment is great. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope that you'll come back for another one. And remember to shed the light.